The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Hello, everybody. Thanks for the wave. Hi there. Hi. <laughs> Happy November 1st. Indeed. Yes. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> Everybody adjusting that's on the West Coast to the change in time, okay? Oh, yeah. Good. Mm. Yeah. We'll start in a minute, um, but if anybody had a burning question or anything like that, you could, you know, we could probably have one one comment or question before we start the formal show. Anybody wants to unmute? I hope you've been enjoying the email, you know, um, practice reflections and the readings and. Um, also the talks over the past month. Yeah, I see an okay or thumbs up. Two okays. Very nice. All right. Great. Good. Good. So maybe I'm, I'm going to um, start with a couple of slides. Um, just to go over a few details so you guys can take in the information visually. So maybe I'll pull those up. All right. So of course, welcome. So glad you're all here. Um, so I just, we wanted to name the different teachers that are involved in teaching the class. And there's a little asterisk by the teachers who are present, and I'll change that each each time. So there's myself, Tanya Weiser. Chris, maybe you could say your name so you show up and, you know, and then Ying Yu. Chris Clifford. Hi. And Ying here. Hello, okay. everybody. Great. So these are, this is your teaching team today. We also have Bruni Davila and David Laurie and Uri Silverstein on the teaching team. Not here today, but they're, they're also on the team. So some people had asked, you know, sort of, I think it would be helpful to plan what your bio break time would be. And so this is just an overview of, of how we've structured the course. So, um, you know, we're going to do this brief welcome and overview. Uh, then there'll be a 20-minute guided meditation um, and then a Dharma talk for 20 minutes. And then we'll do breakout groups for 15 and then come back for 15-minute feedback Q&A. Then we'll have a bio break at around 2.30 for 10 minutes. And then we'll come back for a second Dharma talk, another breakout group, come back for another group discussion, feedback, question and answer. 
a few minutes for final reflections and then a closing with the dedication of the merit. So any questions about that? Everybody have a chance to look it over. Okay. Great. All right. So um, also just wanted to so, sort of go over some of the zoom basics. Um, whew. So first, just really an invitation to take care of yourself in this format, right? Do what you can to make this a good experience for yourself and, of course, others. It is pretty important to keep yourself muted unless you've been invited to share. Um, and, you know, it's nice to have your camera on. It's nice for us to see who's out in the audience. But I also really want to say I totally understand if you have Zoom fatigue and you're on the camera a lot and you want to turn it off. The one request I would have is when we do the breakout groups, right? You're in a small group and it would be, I think, really beneficial for building trust and, and actually also being able to make sure you understand each other more if you turned your cameras on during that time. And then we realized that, you know, I don't know how many are here today, but there was close to 150 people on last time. So we thought, wow, how are we going to give everyone a chance to share and ask questions? Um, so we're going to just ask you to try and be mindful yourselves. If you've asked a question or shared before, maybe wait, hold back, and give more of a pause. And we'll try and encourage people who haven't had an opportunity to do so and to speak to, to do so. Um, and then the group chat's going to be turned off um, during the main part of the class, but we'll turn it on at the break so you guys can connect with each other and share. And if you have um, general questions about the program or resources shared during this class, you can send an email to the Eightfold Path at insightmeditationcenter.org. And um, the chat will be on at all times so that you can chat Chris Clifford, the Zoom host, um, if, if there's something really important that you, you need to share. But general, general comments and stuff, we're asking you to either share during the open time or to email the, the group um, at Eightfold Path. All right. All right. So last month, the path factor was right view. Right. And that path factor is what you sort of all coming in. You've spent the last month kind of getting acquainted with the four noble truths and the conditioned nature of the mind. And, and just a reminder that sort of my, my motto for this um, path factor is I stop for suffering, right? Really orienting toward um, taking suffering as a signpost, um, as a, feedback as a way to find our feet planted firmly in the Eightfold Path. This month, um, we're going to focus on right intention. And both right view and right intention are the two factors in the Eightfold Path that are considered the wisdom factors. So we're combining the second part of the wisdom factors today. Next month, we'll be working on right speech. And that um, is an entree into the beginning of the ethical um, component of the path. So um, we have um, just at this point an announcement from Chris um, to kind of, let me see, stop sharing. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Okay. Um, so we've, 
talked about ways to uh, facilitate you all connecting with each other to talk about the program if you want to outside of this gathering and besides those who have mentors. And we've decided that this really uh, needs to be self-organizing. We've tried this various ways over the years. And uh, so what we're going to be doing is we'll send out an email in a day or two. And anyone who's interested in being able to contact others or wanting to be contacted by others can sign up briefly just with their name and email. And then sometime right after Thanksgiving, we'll mail out the list to everyone who is on the list. And then you're free to use it for the purposes of connecting to talk about the Eightfold Path in any way that that seems right to you. You can reach out to somebody and ask them if they'd like to have a phone call, conversation about something. You know, it's okay to send a message to the whole group, maybe trying to find other speakers of your language or something like that. So we just can't uh, organize that for you this year so we're going to rely on you to be self-organizing in that way so mail will be coming out in the next day or two under the class email with a lot more description of this and it's really pretty simple we're just collecting an email list okay we might have time for one or so urgent one or two urgent questions about this if there are any just unmute yourself and speak up Okay. Uh, where do we send Donna to? Uh, you can send Donna on the donations button on the main IMP website. You can you can write in there that it's for the Eightfold Pass if you want to in the comments field. Does that answer your question? I can't really see who's speaking. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't hear the main website. The Insight, the Insight Meditation Center website, where you found the form to enroll in this program. I'll, I can include this information in the mail that I'm going to send out in the next day or so. Okay. Somebody's having trouble hearing. I guess it doesn't do me any good to say so since they can't hear me. But is everybody else's hearing? Thank you. Okay. Okay. (laughs) There's definitely some feedback. So, um, Ying, you might need to um, mute yourself. I've had myself. But just please, everybody, double check right now. Make sure you're muted. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's move into a meditation for this to begin the afternoon. And this meditation will just practice a little bit with this factor of intentionality of wise intention. With intent what is intentionality itself and the basic wise intentions of kindness, compassion and letting go. So one of the key things you might notice about mindful presence is that it makes space for intentionality to be there. For our deeper 
wiser intentions to come to mind. When we're not fully present, we can lose contact with our intentions and our old habits tend to quickly take over. So first, the intention of coming into the here and now, into embodied presence. The intention to feel and know what's here and now. Grounding ourselves, feeling the contact of your bottom with your chair or your cushion. The intention to let your attention just come to rest there, to settle. Feel that support. And feeling the feet in contact with the floor. And knowing the experience of the whole lower part of the body. With that foundation, the breath arising. Simply being here to know whatever it feels like to be breathing in, breathing out, sitting in contact with your seat, whatever's most predominant for you. Just meeting our experience with awareness And let's begin to explore this basic intention of meeting experience in the spirit of goodwill and kindness. Intention is not forcing, but just very lightly and gently inclining the heart and mind in a certain direction, in the direction of kindness. And noticing where we're not in alignment with that intention and bringing a simple awareness to that. It may help us tune into this quality of kindness to think of witnessing acts of kindness or goodwill among others. Something is touched, something resonates with the loveliness, the safety, the ease of kindness, warms the heart. Our hearts are quite connected to our hands. Our hands can express tenderness and care. Feeling the softness the tenderness of your hand, wherever it's touching, like stroking a pet or a sleeping baby. 
bringing that relaxed, gentle kindness in the hands. Bringing a hand to your heart area. Letting that hand express this this tender, caring kindness. Letting the heart receive that softness, that kindness. expressing the basic intention of goodwill toward yourself. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I take care of my health wisely. May I be at ease. Knowing how this basic intention of goodwill, friendliness, kindness nourishes and protects our own heart, can we extend this to others? Reflecting that just as we wish to be safe, happy, at ease, so does everyone here. May we all be safe. May we all be happy. May we all take care of our health wisely. May we all be at ease. And can we invite the possibility of living in a field of goodwill, protecting and nourishing our own hearts and wishing the same for all beings. Breathing in, contacting contacting again that felt appreciation for kindness in our own hearts. Breathing out, may all beings be safe. May all beings be happy. May all beings take care of their health wisely. May all beings be at ease. How might this heart of goodwill and kindness meet the difficult? 
What could be a compassionate response to discomfort, confusion, sadness, resistance that we inevitably feel in ourselves at times in part? Maybe the heart closes down a bit, turns away. Maybe we think we need to fix it. Maybe we feel overwhelmed. Maybe you can sense how these are feelings of being pressured and they don't need more pressure to go away or change faster than they can. Can you gently acknowledge these feelings? Can you allow that within you that is afraid or resistant to simply coexist with your presence of mind and heart? To slowly begin to feel at ease and relax. This is the intention toward compassion to simply recognize that the difficult is present and without trying to make it change or go away, can we stay in relationship to it? Let the sense of presence and kindness hold or touch or simply accompany whatever is caught up in feelings of discontent, anxiety, longing, suffering. Offering a warm spaciousness for these feelings to unfold in their own time, in their own way. May I be at ease with the conditions of my life. And as we learn some ease with our own difficulties, can we sense beneath the particular circumstances to the common humanity of others as we all face life's challenges, not getting what we want, having the unwanted, fearing what may come. As we all experience interstates of reactivity and suffering, can we simply keep company? Can we offer somehow the possibility, the sense of non-struggle, non-conflict, and non-abandonment, not demanding that things change, staying with? May we all be at ease with the conditions of our lives.
May all beings everywhere be at ease with the conditions of their lives. With our minds a little more clearly knowing, with our hearts a little warmed up, with our bodies a little more alive and present. Let's look at letting go of trying to invoke any particular state of heart, mind, and body and simply receive what's here. Noticing any sense of trying too hard, of grasping or pushing. Maybe it's possible to let that relax. Maybe it's possible to just let even that be as it is. Not feeding it, not fighting it. Not rejecting not grasping. Resting in the intention to let go of all struggle and grasping, to let be. Letting our inner life simply be known right now in this heart, mind, and body. Right now it's like this. Resting in the stillness of awareness. Letting be and letting go. Like a riverbed that's in every moment receiving and letting go. Receiving and letting pass. Just the lightest persistence of the sense of being awake and in touch with our intentionality, in touch with the intentions of non-struggling, allowing, knowing, everything that arises has the potential to be met with a kind allowing releasing 
trusting the unfolding of things in their own time, in their own way. Trusting in a more spacious heart, spacious body, spacious mind. All kinds of feelings can arise, be there as long as they need to pass on when they're ready. After sitting in silence for a while, you can just when you come back to presence if you've drifted away, just checking in with these intentions to meet experience with kindness, with compassion, and trust to let it be and let it go.
And turning things over to Ying at this point. Thank you, Chris. Such a beautiful meditation. So um, maybe in that spirit, and I almost feel like it to kind of extend um, this meditative sense um, into this part of um, our session today, uh, which involves in talking. Um, but before kind of um, I jump into the topic that we're covering today, I first I want to check. You can hear me okay? Yeah? Okay. All right. Um, so before we dive into um, Sama Sankapa, which is the path factor that we will talk about today, I want to offer an image that came to me on, on this retreat that I was just sitting and just finished around noon today. So it's, this image is still um, quite fresh in my mind. And this is an image of um, the Noble Eightfold Path, um, and a kind of an embodied image. And in this image, um, the last three path factors, um, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration, was kind of a sitting right in my torso. You know, think of the core of your being. Um, and that's kind of where that is, where the embodied sense of uh, this path factors, bringing sense of a balanced effort and uh, establishing stability and clarity uh, within us. And then the um, right uh, view and the right intention, um, the wisdom factors, um, kind of right around the heart and mind you know for me it was kind of my around my head and my heart and I don't know exactly you know which is which uh in Chinese um and uh, the heart and mind both kind of are related to heart uh, but for me it was the image of those two factors are related to something around the heart and mind and then uh, the rest of the path factors, um, right speech, right, accent, right action, and right, li right livelihood, I kind of like the limbs and the whole body, maybe <laughs> the totality of the body here together. And I kind of wanted to offer this because uh, maybe two things. One is the Noble Eightfold Path um, can be think uh, can be thought of as a holistic system that has maybe eight dimensions or eight different aspects, but they are um, they are related. They influence affect each other. So um, in this um, beautiful guided meditation that Chris and just led. And you can probably feel the sense of right effort, right mind, uh, right mindfulness, and right concentration—a part of this. And then at the same time, um, 
the wise view and the wise intention um, is you know, kind of um, uh, connecting, touching in uh, with our bodies. And this moves us on um, and moves our mind, our body in certain way. Maybe we feel relaxed um, uh, physically. Maybe we feel more at ease uh, mentally. Maybe our, our heart feels open. And so it kind of evoke all of those other dimensions of a being together as well. And so as we engage in this practice of a Noble Eightfold Path, uh, having uh, that uh, totality of the system in the back of our mind uh, can potentially be very helpful, even though each month we may be evaluating, uh, kind of studying and practicing with one particular path factor. Um, and then the second thing I'd say is I uh, think of the Noble Eightfold Path as an embodied practice. And so it, it's something that we live with through our body and mind uh, right now. So with that, um, as the, the kind of overarching um, backdrop of the topic, and I'm going to say a few words about uh, the second path factor that we'll be exploring today, uh, which is uh, called Samasankapa in Pali term. Um, and there are multiple translations for this particular path factor. And I like to read um, some of these different translations. And in using these different translations, for me, it evokes some of the different uh, sense of what this path factor is pointing towards. And um, and so maybe you you know as you listen and can allow the words to drop into you and see you know what kind of effects it may have on you. The common translation for sama sankapa is right intention. And so Bhikkhu Bodhi translates this as right intention. Tanesu Bhikkhu translated this as right resolve. So that evokes something different from right intention, uh, at least for me. And then uh, Ajahn Sujato translated this as right thought. Uh, Raya Davis translated this as right aspiration. And Gil Frostow, the latest, latest translation is right application the way we apply our mind. And so for me, whatever the translation may be, um, this path factor signifies a very deliberate and conscious orientation or inclination of our mind. So if you look at uh, what the Sankapa uh, may be, as Chris was guiding us in the guided meditation, it's a, a particular form of a mental activity that gives rise to um, the downstream um, actions or activities in the form of uh, verbal, physical, or mental actions. 
And oftentimes, the sankapas um, are. Uh, I'm going to just use intention on uh, for most of um, the, the talk, um, but I'll sometimes you use different words here at, at translations here as well. And I say uh, right intention. Uh, the intention oftentimes is based on some kind of views or beliefs or some kind of a deeper forces inside of us even though we may or may not be conscious of uh, what our intentions may be. Um, but um, never, nevertheless, uh, intention is quite potent force in our lives. Um, I remember many years ago uh, when I was uh, doing a meditation retreat, um, um, my walking meditation and I would uh, again and again notice that before I take the first step on the walking path, I would notice that uh, the intention of a walking would appear before I kind of began walking. And then by the end of the walking path, uh, getting close to the end of the walking path, the intention of stopping would arise uh, before I stop. And uh, you know, as Chris was saying, when we make a room in our experiences, we begin to see the arising of intention and from which we begin to take actions like walking and stopping. And this was really curious when I began to see this um, and I began to pay attention to my experiences a lot more. And I noticed that uh, intention was uh, quite prominent uh, throughout the day. And, um, you know, uh, like a, before I pick up a, a teacup or before I uh, speak to someone, and there will be kind of intention uh, arising before um, the downstream activities um, began to happen. So I got really curious and I began to uh, pay more attention to it. Um, and I noticed that, that there are several different kinds of the intentions um, that exist as well. So um, sometimes um, if there is an intention and there is an intention that's based on wanting to help someone and that the activity might be leaning in serving the people around me in some way. And then in other times, and there can be intention that based on um, how I want it to be seen. Then the words that come out of me um, can be indicative of, um, or can be indicative based on that particular intention. It can lean either on the side of self-diminishing or self-criticizing or on the side of self-aggrandizing. And so there are kind of different intentions um, from which our, uh, our activities can flow out of it. Uh, in one of the suttas in the middle length discourses, um, I believe it's Majjhima Nikaya 19, and the Buddha talked about two kinds of thoughts um, before he 
Uh, so before he was awakened Buddha, he was still a bodhisattva. He talked about and um, that he um, noticed or he categorized his thoughts into two kinds. One kind of thoughts that's based on um, sensual desire, ill will, and cruelty or harmfulness. And when he noticed this kind of thoughts, and they tend to lead to dukkha. So he understood there is this kind of thoughts um, that um, that were present uh, in his experience. And then he also noticed the opposite kind, uh, which is the kind of thought that is based on um, uh, renouncing or letting go of essential desire or freedom from sensual desire. And uh, in uh, the guided meditation, and, and Chris used letting go, um, letting go of clinging, grasping. And uh, the kind of thoughts based on loving kindness and compassion. And activities coming out of those lead to well-being and peace. And that's to be cultivated. And so those are three dimensions and the uh, sense of letting go, um, cultivation of loving kindness and uh, compassion um, is in the classical teachings of a right intention. And I also wanted to say um, that uh, in putting uh, a sankapa, a right intention, in the teachings of Noble Eightfold Path, um, the Buddha really understood um, you know, people's mind really well. And I thought it was quite brilliant um, that because oftentimes we can live, um, live a life that is quite unconscious of what our intentions are. And we kind of just live by maybe uh, habits and um, reflexes, you know, based on our physical, mental reflexes and from culture, from books we read and from our habits. But knowing the power of intention, um, the Buddha um, taught that this is a, a particular path factor that can be really cultivated in us. And in putting um, samasankapa right after uh, right view and before right speech, right action, and right livelihood and the rest of the, uh, the path factor, it highlights that right intention has a pivotal uh, kind of a force inside of us. It bridges on the wise understanding of the Four Noble Truths and how we live our lives, um, how, we, how we live our lives um, through our um, mind, body, and speech. And so uh, um, Philip Moffat said, intention is the pivot point that allows you to dance with life. It is a bridge between understanding and actions. 
Understanding without intention is conceptual and passive, no matter how profound it may be. So one may, one may kind of know this for ourselves. Um, and I remember one of the Adhamapata uh, text said that uh, for those who only recite text um, but they don't act accordingly, and they're like the cowherds counting other people's cows, <laughs> so they really don't care. They're all <laughs> of their own um, belongings, but they're you know counting other people's cows. And so that's the the function of our right intention for us, and it's kind of orient ourselves uh, towards something. Um, and so, um, how do we practice right intention? Well, I, I want, want to offer maybe three uh, points, and this just kind of limited a set of points that we may be able to utilize. Um, but the first point um, is related to the fact that this is uh, one of the wisdom factors. And so we can practice by reflecting and asking ourselves questions, reflecting on the teachings of the Dharma, and ask ourselves some questions. How do I want to live this day? What is my deepest aspiration? And so that's, you know, one aspect of um, cultivating right intention. And you may have questions of your own. And some people uh, use this um, as a way to uh, kind of establish some sort of sense of renewal every day. How do I want to live this day today when I wake up and reflect and ask this question? And sometimes it's not important to get the right answer, but keep asking the question is probably more important uh, than otherwise. And then the second uh, aspect of this um, related to how we practice is, is to learn to set wholesome intentions, to kind of unleash, uh, unleash some of the wholesome forces inside of us wholesome intentions that may be beneficial and valuable to yourself and others and make a practice out of it. And so maybe, um, you know, oftentimes I remember some of the retreats and the teachers would gather uh, us together to set very specific intentions that are beneficial for all of us who are practicing on retreats. So for example, on the uh, very recent retreat that, that we set the intention to uh, renounce the comparing and judging mind. That was really helpful <laughs> because you are now sitting in the, uh, in this, uh, you know, meditation hall together. You keep on thinking everybody else is doing so much better than you do. So it's nice to kind of just make an intention to say, Oh, you know, um, um, well, set aside the comparing and judging mind for that. And so learn to set some wholesome intentions. And then the last point I wanted to say is uh, to learn to begin again and again and again. 
because we know that even when we're setting uh, intentions, wholesome intentions, wholesome intentions, wise intentions, our actions may not always align uh, with um, our intentions, either because we kind of got caught up in the situation and we lost track of uh, how uh, we were intending. Um, but with mindfulness, you know, we become aware that, oh, you know, I, I may have kind of lost track of um, the intention I set for myself. And we just began to learn to um, uh, restart, begin again, maybe from this moment. There's no need to kind of beat ourselves up and, and set another lofty goal. Just to say, oh, now I now I notice, you know, that my actions is no longer aligned. And let me realign myself with my deepest values and wise um, intention. So it's a very rich and powerful practice. And so there are, those are the few words I want to offer today in relationship to um, right intention. And, and Tanya will continue after uh, a little bit. But at this point, uh, it may be a good time for us uh, to move to uh, some sharing and discussion uh, about this, this uh, particular topic. And uh, uh, we will put you into uh, small groups. Um, and I'll give you a prompt uh, when you get into the small groups. And this prompt is, uh, when you get into the small group, can you share a couple of examples of the intentions that you, you've set, set in the past? And what impact they may have had on you, or uh, and maybe even others, uh, with those intention? You, you know, you can pick um, any example, or uh, even just you know, for me, this guided meditation was quite potent um, itself. And so, whatever might bubble up for you, and if um, yeah, if you just. I take a few moments to kind of reflect a little bit uh, about that and 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 be, before you share and that that'll be fine. And so we'll be in a group of a four or five, uh, is that right? Yeah, more like four. Okay. Uh around four and you have about 15 minutes uh in the small group. And so maybe just pay attention to the time and so uh, we allow you know, all of you in the small group to be able to share. And it's always nice to kind of uh, do a wind down and allow time for additional uh, sharing if that's available. Um, Can I add something, Ying? Please. Just a reminder that the this is a really a practice time for listening. So the emphasis is not on commenting or evaluating or you know, giving suggestions to each other. It's really a time to practice mindfulness of listening and um, receiving 
It's such a gift to receive what others share and to allow it to come in and be aware of how it's impacting you. So keeping it a safe experience for everyone. Okay. Thank you, Tanya. Um, yeah. So um, any questions before we go to the small group? You can just unmute and say that. If not, then Chris will send you into small groups. Okay, here we go. Good. Looks like we're all back. Chris, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, so want to just give a chance for uh, you to share in this large, uh, large group uh, together. Let's see how that uh, a small group went for you. And this is also a time for you to ask any questions um, about what's being discussed today so far, uh, if you have a question. So um, please feel free to use your uh, blue hand um, if you know how to do that. It's under participants. And you see the raise hand button. Um, and that way, you know, uh, it's easier for me to see. It's a little hard to, to kind of scroll the screens. So anyone I'd like to share? Um, I see, uh, did I see Ross um, raising hand? Yeah, please go ahead and you can unmute yourself. And, okay. Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Um, I felt it very challenging to come up with an intention, and it was not an unfamiliar challenge. <laughs> I find that um, when I'm in groups like this, and if, if I can be given an example or, or uh, given a request to think of some example of some action or some thought, and I've got a couple of days to do it, I can do it. But on the spot, I find that I guess my my excuse is I don't feel I'm a, I categorize my thoughts and my actions, my beliefs and my systems, especially as I'm coming to this introducing this particular way of stacking uh, values and actions and behaviors. Um, um, and I'd like to think that that's a characteristic, not a fault, because I notice some people are instinctively they got their ducks in a row in terms of categorizing what they do and other folks don't. And I'm one of the latter. So I'll share that. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And that's why that's just a practice. <laughs> yeah. So we do have a question in the chat that might be of interest to various people. Someone asks, are actions always following an intention? Can we act without having an intention first? Let's say if I get mad at someone, does this mean I had the intention to get mad at him? Even if I had set the intention not to get mad. It's a great question. I think any of the the teachers feel free to respond to that too. Yeah. 
certainly in our lived experience, in my own lived experience, I don't always catch the intention <laughs> before <laughs> the activities that happen. Um, Mm. But what what I would, um, for me, what is um, powerful is to begin to see the potent forces of intention um, that it does have an impact on me. So if I'm uh, reminded of that, I can allow myself to, over time, begin to learn to set intentions that allow my actions and my speech and my mental activities uh, to be more aligned with um, the um, wholesomeness of my intentions. But I, you know, I definitely, there are times that I just, I miss it and I don't really know uh, if I had intentions or not and what kind of intentions there may be. I can add something. Um, I appreciate the question a lot. I think one thing that is important to recognize is that even once we find right view and we maybe set a right intention, it doesn't mean that those things stay in place. Every moment there are things that are going on in our life that we might be responding to from a conditioned nature or a reactive nature. And those react, you know, those new forces can um, cause us to act from a different place, right? So um, it's sort of like something that needs to be reset, re- re-looked at um, a lot. And I-, I guess I'll add another part that's really interesting to me is to, there's the intention and then there's the impact and the, the two things are different. And so it's also helpful to look at, we might have a good intention, but have a bad impact and, and to keep kind of learning from that and um, noticing because there's a lot of subtlety to, to this practice and this, this process. I think the deep teachings claim that there are assert that there is an intention behind every speech or action, but it's not always conscious. So part of why we're practicing is so that we can kind of slow down, you know, get, get more subtly attuned to when one of those, other intentions kind of hijacks the mind and jumps in there and does something. So I wouldn't give up on the possibility that you can see more deeply into all kinds of intentions coming up. So uh, Pratipa, you can unmute yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you again. Um, I wanted to respond to um, that um, question around is there always a thought behind the action? I think that's what it was. Or is there always an intention behind the action? And what was coming to my mind was that the the translation for Sama Sankapa, there's so many varieties of that. And one of them is aim and aspiration and as well as intention, Gil said application and then thought was another one that you mentioned. And so I was thinking that, um, yeah, my, my, when I look at it more broadly like that, it's like, yes, I really do think there's an intention 
behind every thought. And and like Chris just said, it may not be a conscious intention, but it could arise from a deeper part that we're not yet aware of. So that's all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, there's always a, some sort of deep forces um, that are actions coming out of it, you know, whatever label that we may put on it. And it's a worth uh, worthwhile to really pay careful attention to how this kind of deep forces uh, function inside of us. Uh, maybe one more question from Maureen. I was wondering how the idea of right intention intersects with the concept of living in the present. That's it. Any of the uh, other teachers would like to? I'll say something. It's not as a teacher as much as it's from personal experience. Um, The experience of discerning and holding wise intention is in the moment for me and is a process of a kind of being with that feels very rich and meaningful for me. Um, So I was saying to the small group I was in, when I get up in the morning, I've got a little card by the bed that says, quote from a Dharma teacher, what would love have me do today? And beginning my day with that reflection is about that moment. And the richness I experience with that as the space from which I begin my day. So it's very much about that present moment experience of feeling into intention more than do I follow through and so on. That's important. But the ripe, rich place is the knowing. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie. Yeah, and I... Can I piggyback on that just for a minute? Is that all right? Or did you want to move on? I think we'll have this last comment, Jerry, and and then we'll take a break. Yes, please. So I'm very anti-intention in my practice, but lately that's shifted, shifting. And uh, it's more of an automatic. I sit, and before I start the meditation, I sort of ask, like what 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 why am I doing this and what's the intention? And my heart shakes and things come out of me that are quite shocking actually. So instead of it being taking me out of the present moment, it's bringing me much deeper into the present moment. And it's increasing some more much deeper learning about why am I practicing and what am I willing to give up and what am I still holding on to? Beautiful. Thank you, Jerry. Consistent. Yeah, thank you. Um, I would say right intention is a powerful response to our right understanding of Dukkha. 
and it's very immediate um, and it's very responsive. I know what flows out of it. So with that, uh, we got to care for our bodies. And so we're going to take a nine minute uh, break, a bio break and stretch your bodies and and go use bathroom. And then we'll come back at uh, 2.30 Pacific time. So the chat is open now. If there's someone you want to connect with and exchange emails or something, be aware of the difference between writing to everyone and writing to someone. Both those options are available and just be mindful about that. Be intentional. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll see you in a few minutes. I hope your bodies are well cared for as you come back. So um, I'm going to just start by reading a quote from the Buddha. Um, Intention, I tell you, is an action. Through intention, one acts by way of body, speech, and mind, right? And this is um, a nice contrast for me with um, I'm thinking about wise view as, you know, we want to stop right? Stop for suffering and orient. And before we begin this action, it's really helpful to pause, right? And orient toward freedom, orient toward, you know, what will bring more wholesomeness, more goodness, more ease in our life. There's um, this pause is an important concept. Viktor Frankl says, Freedom is found in the space between the stimulus and the response. So that freedom is found in the space itself, right? And this is really talking about the difference between um, habitual behavior versus choiceful behavior or reaction versus response. There's another um, beautiful quote that I like a lot that I think speaks to both wise view and right intention. It's by Jane Hirschfield. She's a, a poet and a Zen practitioner. And she, she, one of her lines was, suffering leads to beauty the way thirst leads to water. And I want to break this down just, you know, for real clarity, right? So when does thirst lead to water? Thirst leads to water when we're aware we're thirsty. We First, we have to recognize that we're thirsty, right? And secondly, we have to have some a wise view present of our thirst so that we choose water over a Diet Coke, right, for example. Because the Diet Coke actually has caffeine in it and will make us more dehydrated, right? So for me, it's like, Okay, in the same way, suffering leads to beauty, right? When we're aware we're suffering and we bring this quality of wise knowing to the suffering, right? This is so much of this this pair, right? Is seeing it, stopping, pausing, and then orienting toward what is wholesome. And the Buddha kind of made this fairly simple um, by saying, okay, I'll give you three types of thought, 
three types of intentions that are wrong intentions or unwise intentions. And I'll give you three types of thoughts or intentions that are wise. And essentially it's, it's the ones that are wrong or unwise take us off of the path and towards suffering. And the ones that are wise are, are taking us on the path, keeping us on the path. Right. And so um, Ying mentioned these, right? Um, lust, ill will, and hatred are the three ways of thinking that cause us suffering and take us off of the path. I want to just sort of talk a little bit about those three qualities because a lot of us can struggle with this, right? We get angry. We have desires. These things are part of human life, right? So it's really important for me. It was important for me. So, you know, in my practice, not to demonize these wrong intentions, right? But rather to find a wise way of understanding them and relating to them so that you have more space, more opportunity, right? For choice. One of the things I like to think about is that um, the mind or the nervous system or both of them sort of have um, an, an operating system that we're, you know, that's hardwired into us when we're born. Certain things that like the fight, flight and freeze system, right? We pretty much all have those natural responses towards survival. And also there's just like some basic sort of, you know, instincts toward wanting food, right? And wanting to get away from being hurt. These are, these are sort of things that we just kind of are born with. They're natural and they're important, right? And they also can be linked to lust, ill will, and hatred in exaggerated forms. But if we can normalize, right, that the arising of these things, wanting things, not wanting things, and maybe sometimes even feeling a lot of hatred toward things, can be at, at their seed coming from one of these sort of just important, unwise, perhaps they don't have the capacity for ongoing evaluation by themselves, but these systems, these ways of operating, right? So what seems really important is to get to know them, get to know them in ourselves, get to know when they get triggered, get to know when they are sort of um, how, how we respond when these things are going on and to see them sooner and sooner and earlier in their arising. Right. So these, these forces of desire, ill will, and, um, you know, hatred essentially, um, are uh, pretty strong, right? They, when, they, when they take hold inside of us, they almost catapult us into action, which is why it's so helpful to see them earlier in the process. They want us to do something, right? But because of the conditioned nature of the mind, right, if they aren't sort of, paired with wisdom and they aren't paired with wise view and understanding wise intention they can carry us pretty quickly into unwise actions so some things are normalizing these things wanting to get to know them and how they arise wanting to know sort of what is the kernel here what is needed and also you know emotions themselves if you measure the 
biophysical aspect of an emotion, it lasts for about 90 seconds. So it's this pause becomes profoundly important because when we're under the spell of one of these strong forces, it's very hard to see things any other way. But if we can pause and if we can extend the time between when something happens and when we respond, there's an opportunity for that emotion to arise and pass away if we relate to it wisely. So Mark Epstein um, in Tricycle wrote an article called Stopping the Wind. So that's an interesting use. The wind, I also often use the, the term currents, right? The wind blows us, the currents carry us. And these can be said of these, these energies, right? And Mark says, if we can let anger arise, rise and fall naturally, it becomes, in the Buddhist view, self-liberating. It frees itself, right? We get into trouble with anger if we try to eliminate it too perilously through denial or avoidance or if we turn it into hatred, right? So in times of stress, right, it's, it's easier to relate perilously to these forces, right? And, you know, we're all going to have our moments, and activities. And right now, maybe there's a collective moment of stress as we're approaching, you know, election day and what will happen here, you know? And so this seems really timely to me to be thinking about this, right? Whatever the results of this election are, we are sure that many people are going to be responding with joy and with grief and tragedy and all kinds of things no matter what these responses are going to be happening. So it seems really important for us to kind of use this as a great opportunity to practice with this kind of energy as we meet it, as we see it, as we experience it in ourselves. I have a quote from a book called Black and Buddhist, What Buddhism Can Teach Us About Race, Resilience, Transformation and Freedom. It's from the foreword and um, by Galen Ferguson. And she writes, now more than ever, we need this message of peace, a strong peace with justice and dignity. There's a practical message of cultivating inner spiritual power to meet the daily challenges of aggression, violence, lying, and deception. We are all thirsty and hungry for the beautiful message of truth. Here, then, in this practice, is an alternative to the widely available false and numbing paths used to avoid our experiences of fear, our experiences of worry and despair. When we turn toward, rather than away from, whatever arises in our lives, our strength and resilience grow and expand like the branches of a vast, immovable tree with deep roots. So if we think about turning toward these energies, turning toward these impulses, turning toward these forces, right? And and just pausing with them. Can we stand and let them come in us, through us? Can we let them kind of 
what was it that Mark says that was so beautiful, right? Um, self-liberate, right? Can we let this stuff self-liberate? And then orient, right? Orient again toward this freedom. And the freedom, the three wise intentions, right? The three wise ways of thinking are said to be renunciation, goodwill or non-harming, loving kindness, and sometimes compassion is coupled with that. So with these, you know, in mind, they can support us in choosing to respond instead of react, right? And they, they can be thought of, the mind when it is oriented in these ways can be thought of, you know, a bright light, right? That we can turn and, and use to look at what's going on. So let's talk a little bit about each of these three wise ways of thinking. And I'll, I'll just start by saying they're presented as three distinct things. And in some ways they are. But in other ways, what I have found is that when I truly experience any one of them, I experience all three of them. Any one of them can be a doorway into the others. So a lot of people, especially, I don't know, a lot of people have a response to this word renunciation that isn't so, isn't so inspiring to them. And literally the definition is, you know, it's a practice of renouncing, repudiation, rejection, abandoning, surrender, foregoing, going without. The Buddha actually would talk about this as the bliss of renunciation. I think we get caught in this idea of letting go or renunciation in a sort of in an aversive way. And the way I think about it is that um, maybe we need to just work, work with our minds a little differently, a little more creatively around this, because the experience of letting go is truly quite blissful. It's really wonderful. Anyone would know if you've let go of a bad habit, you know, if you've got, once you've gotten out of a bad relationship or once you've sort of moved on from something and you've no longer caught up in the tangle of it, you know how good it feels, right? But I think about this a little bit like when I'm, when I had a little child, right? I really, I learned that if I, if my kid was going for the outlet, if I said, don't touch the outlet, the child sees touching the outlet and that's what they do. They go for touching the outlet. So I had to get skillful and be quick and think about telling my child what to do instead of what not to do. So in the same way, we might work with ourselves to help ourselves through any resistance, if we have any, to this idea of letting go or renunciation. So Joseph Goldstein uses a term and has translated it, kind of given an optional way of thinking of uh, renunciation as non-addiction. Gil Fransdahl has used the word relinquishment, right? And relinquishment is defined as to stop holding physically, to release, slowly relinquish his grip on the bar, to give over possession or control over, 
right? So we have the bliss of renunciation, non-addiction, and relinquishment to use also to help ourselves kind of orient toward the different ways of holding this. And I'm going to talk some more about sort of another another way, and I'll, I guess I'll just mention it now. What is the experience of letting go? After you let go of something, what do you feel? What do you notice? Betsy, you just talked. I wish I could hear you because I'm so glad you're responding. But for me, I'll just name. Go ahead. I was re- I was more relaxed. Yes, because there's the clench, and then there's the yes, hand. yes. So very often for me, one of my approaches to working with this practice is to think about the relaxation, right? And and that way, it's the same as working with my daughter, right? Not don't. Not don't touch the outlet, but here, honey, look at this. <laughs> you know, it's like really, really reorienting toward the sort of the, the positive side of this, the freedom that we can experience. All right. So for me, um, some of the practices that can really support this experience of letting go is literally working with my body, right? Noticing when I have tension. Um, tightness, gripping, if that's happening, pretty much you can guarantee I'm clinging to something, right? So I can use my body to help me notice when I need to relinquish, let go. And, you know, I can, I can start with my body and try and invite it to relax and that might help, right? Um, sometimes it's about a very gradual harm reduction plan, right? Um, another practice for me that has been super nourishing is a practice I call a contentment practice. And essentially, you know, I, what I'm doing when I'm working with contentment is asking, what is in part or whole good enough here? Again, this is, so the brain's bias is toward negativity. The brain holds on to negativity like Velcro. It really wants to look at the negative. So if I'm unhappy with my job and I'm annoyed with something, that can easily take over my thoughts around my work. But if I can step back and let go, right, or ask myself, well, what is good enough about my job? It's like, oh, there's this and there's that and there's that and there's this and oh, that's, that is good enough. And that, can I be content with that? Yes, there's something here that isn't maybe ideal for me. But what if I orient toward what is good enough? Really supports me in letting go of the things that I can start to generate a lot of ill will around or desire. Like I want this other person has this beautiful shawl. Oh, my shawl's not nice enough. I want that shawl. It's really beautiful. I would like to have it, but well, let me look at mine. Is it good enough? Well, yeah, actually it it is. It's quite beautiful on its own, right? If I don't, this is like, I love the theme that Ying said about her retreat, letting go of the comparing mind, right? Just sort of bringing back to good enough. The second, the second right view or right thought is harmlessness, right? 
freedom from harm, lacking the capacity or intent to injure. Just, you know, when I think about that, it's quite inspiring. I think most people who come to this practice are very attracted by this particular aspect of the the Buddhist way, of this intention to cause no harm, right? One of the things that um, really helped me deepen with this was in looking at um, sort of, I had ants coming into my kitchen, right? And, um, you know, early in my practice, I had to learn how to deal with ants in my kitchen without killing them. Like this was an important practice for me when I was looking at non-harming. And one day I was sort of working with the ants in my kitchen and I could see this impulse to just want to smash the ant. I could see that. And in that movement, I could see how every act of aversion and ill will was just like that. And how by practicing not going to harm the ant, I was working on an all of fiber, every fiber of my being, this desire and wish to not cause harm. Right? You could just see in that, that, just that action is in every action of wanting to cause harm. So practicing with looking at this, what does it feel like when we go to cause harm versus being harmless, right? Another practice for me that has been really inspiring is kind of a letting be, right? Giving space. And so um, letting you be you and me be me, right, is is an act of, you know, non-harming, right? And freeing ourselves and other people from our conditioning, the nature of our conditioning, our expectations, right? So the third wise View, wise way of thinking is loving kindness, right? Or, or compassion. It's the quality or state of responding, for me, with respect and kindness. So we can use the loving kindness practices, right? We can use the phrases, may you be safe, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be at ease. We can use those to help us. So it looks like I am pretty much out of time for my talk. So I'm going to just quickly say that I I really have come to feel like the relaxing, the R, the renouncing, is a helpful way for me to approach letting go. And I think about the body, right? Really looking at this body and trying to help sort of ground in an open, relaxed body. And then the second practice for me of being harmless, actually, I connect a lot with the mind that's open, that is not contracted and narrowed in, but is rather spacious and has, there's plenty of room to see things. And that the, the loving kindness has a lot to do for me with the heart. And of course, these are all interconnected, right? They all come together, but the heart that is allowing. Right. So, so relax, 
open and allow. I can use those in any order. Sometimes I need to start with the heart, sometimes the mind, and sometimes the body. And approach sort of a difficulty with ill will, desire, or hatred. Working with this idea of relaxing, opening, and allowing. So with that, it's time for another small group. And what um, the question I want to invite you to share about in the same way, not conversational, but speaking from personal experience, right, is to explore for yourself what might, you know, maybe if you think about, you know, relax, open and allow or renunciation, harmlessness and loving kindness. What door is the easiest one for you to enter? What, what way might you pick up any of these ways of getting in that hopefully can lead to an opening with all of them? So that's, that's the discussion question. We're going to be in groups for 10 minutes this time. Is there any question or need for clarification on anything before we break into the groups? Just unmute yourself if so. Repeat the question. Okay. What will, what way in to wise view might be the easiest for you? And how might you apply it in your life? So you might actually think about renunciation, harmlessness, loving kindness. And think about your relationship to the three. And which one might be a practice you could start bringing into your daily life and where? Okay. So one question here. Yes. Um, do you mean wise view or you wise intention? I mean wise intention. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, you mostly have been saying wise view, so I've been kind of confused. Thank you for telling me. I'm so sorry. I appreciate that. Yes. So the you two, mean- yes, I definitely have been focusing on wise intention. But to me, they, they are so closely connected, right? We need to have the right perspective, be looking in the right direction, see things in the right way to engage with. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Anything else? All right, Chris, are you ready? I am. Here we go. So we'll just take a few minutes um, to take feedback and, you know, like um, reflections. Maybe you connected with something that felt really helpful or clarifying, right, about right intention, which is, you know, essentially um, the opposite of ill will the opposite of, you know, be hatred and the opposite of being filled with lust and desire. So the absence of those things can be thought of as, you know, um, renunciation, letting go, harmlessness, loving kindness, compassion. So what does anybody feel like they'd like to share? You can raise your little blue hands and um, uh, we can, we can call on you and, be happy to I'm hear. There's still a lot of people just coming back. Okay. Well, I still include. I think it's okay. So, um, Karen. 
Would you like to share, Karen? Um, yeah, well, I guess I have a, I have a share and I have a, a question uh, as well. But um, as far as uh, harmlessness, I mean, I have been re, uh, recycling or whatever, composting food and recently. And so now I have gnats in my house from that. And um, so I'm trying not to feed them so that they keep reproducing. But um, uh, is there not like ants where you can just, you know, um, so I've just had to learn how to live with them. And I just call them now my flying friends. And, um, you know, let them be. Uh, but otherwise, what I'm thinking of is I'm not exactly clear about what renunciation is. Mm, nice. Okay. Um, well, renunciation is, is really, for me, um, letting go, right? And how to be with something in a way that ideally liberates itself. So what that means to me is um, that if I, this is where I couple wise view and wise intention too. So if I am clinging to something, let's say I want a certain experience and I'm really, really wanting it. If I bring wise view to it, I see that there's suffering there, that that grasping and wanting things to be different than the way they are. Right. And by looking at that suffering, I want to let go. I want to renounce, let go of wanting things to be different than the way they are. So that's one way. There's so many ways. Do you, Chris and Ying, do you want to add something about, you know, how you would answer her question, what renunciation is? I think you can look for one thing at things that are sort of obsessive for you or things that things that you're fully well aware that you would like to let go of like addictions or, or, you know, chronic repetitive trains of thought that stir up worry and so forth. So, you know, looking at what seems to kind of possess your mind, so to speak, you know, that you would, that you would prefer to be able to just let go of. And that's, that's the kind of thing to start looking at. You know, don't start with your favorite things and think, oh, I have to give up, you know, coffee every day or something. I mean, don't start there. Start with the things where there's obviously suffering that you would like to let go of. It's this yeah. of hanging on and clinging and being all entangled and caught up in things that this is pointing to. You know, another way to think about it is... Um, you know, it can be really wonderful to experience not being driven by all of your wants and needs, right? Some people have talked about in COVID, the situation of sheltering in place. We can't just go running off and go buy this and go do all these things that we would normally do. And that some people are really experiencing that as really relieving. It's a relief to not be kind of going after all of these different experiences and activities and items. And, you know, so there's another way to think about that is you're renouncing because we have to going out and shopping, going out and eating, going and on vacations, doing these other things. There's you're not doing them and you're not doing them for the greater good of your own health and hopefully of the, the world, right, of not spreading COVID. So that's that's a real-life example of something we've all been asked to renounce, right, to renounce going 
out in public without a mask on, right? Does that make sense, Karen? Is that helping? Okay. Some some translations of this that are helpful, like simplicity, simplifying, you know, or one. I heard that this can be translated as emergence, meaning coming out from the clouds of delusion, you know, moderation. You know, when we, when we look at some of the big issues in the world, like global climate change, we're going to we're going to need to, you know, not just keep having every last thing we want, right? So there's some wisdom in in moving toward moderation. So some of these, it's useful to find some words that are positive for you around this, that resonate with a, a direction you'd like to move in your life. Ying, do you want to add anything? Yeah, I just say the um, particular aspect of this renunciation is about renunciation of the sensual desire, the wanting mind. So like, you know, the striker, I have it, I can grasp on it, but I can also do this. So I don't have to, what I'm renouncing is this grasping on it all the time. I can still have it. And when I don't need it, I put it down. Now I release it. So this renunciation is, for me, the translation that uh, Chris was mentioning, and, and for me, one of the translations that I like a lot is lightening up, hmm. putting a lot of burdens down. I want this, I want that. And then it's like a huge stuff, loads of stuff that we carry around. That's beautiful, Yang. I would add, I think a lot of people get caught also, really, the idea is to let go of clinging, right? It's like clinging to wanting things or not wanting things, right? It's That is really what we're trying to let go of. And a lot of people feel like um, uh, we're asking you to let go of your friendships or your house or your whatever. But it's really the grasping and cleaning that's the, you know, the point of the practice, so we have a couple more hands. Let's take Randy and then Mitra. So Randy, would you unmute? Yeah, thank you. I had a, a somewhat different take on this, and I'm wondering if it's nonetheless consistent with what we're talking about. Uh, Tanya, I was really taken by the your concept that we have these biological imperatives within us, and that yeah. quite often subconsciously they're driving how we talk and, and how we behave. I kind of see renunciation in the sense of re- renouncing the impulsive nature of, of our humanity and rather acting in a way that's mindful. So in a way, reacting, um, rejecting a, a way of acting on impulse, acting in a reflexive way, um, the fast thinking sort okay. of uh, type of, behavior and speech, and rather, you know, adopting um, a different, more mindful, more intention, more consciously intentive way of behaving. Do you think that that's reasonably consistent with this whole idea? Um, Let's see, Ying or Chris, either if you want to respond. Yeah, I love what you just said uh, in terms of... um, 
conscious way of living. One way of understanding right intention is to begin to live consciously rather than compulsively and unconscious most of the time. You know, we're driven by our habits and our reflexes and, and, and not knowing exactly what is happening. And so I think, you know, your instinct of becoming conscious of what is happening mm-hmm. is really what this is pointing towards. That's where the pause is so important, right? And the conditioned nature of um, these energies, right? And these habits that we've created over time. Yeah. Yeah. Mitra, would you like to, to, to share your question or comment? Sure. Um, as far as renunciation, I, I definitely see want things to be different mm-hmm. and um, how that causes stress or causes suffering and how letting that, letting that go, you know, resolves everything, solves everything. But I mean, it's just so difficult for me to, to think of one, not wanting things to be different. I feel like that being me has a way of looking at things and wanting things in certain way and, and letting all that go is like letting everything about me go. You know, Mitra, what, what I think of when you say that is it's like, maybe this is where you play with this idea of, with my daughter, you know, like if you tell yourself, don't want things to be different or want things to be, you know, like stop wanting things to be different. It's a little bit like telling the child not to touch the outlet, right? It's, it's really hard to not, not stay focused on whatever we're (laughs) not wanting. Because if we're not wanting, it's like, don't think about the bear. Don't anybody picture a bear. And that's what we see, right? Mm-hmm. So what is it what is it that you could reorient it toward? Like I want mm-hmm. I want peace. I want connection. I want, you know, I want to be kind. I want to be free. I want what for you would help you pivot toward imagining and inviting, you know. It, uh, it differently does that make sense it looks like it does you're making it, some notes yeah it definitely does yeah yeah and you said something else about that a little bit ago i i forget the exact wording but um to see what's good about contentment okay. contentment yeah yeah what is it good enough what's yeah what's good enough and mm-hmm. not definitely you know not completely letting go of yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you. L, would you like to ask your question? Thank you. Um I just um for me this is is bringing up a a a lot of issues around language and semantics and um what I have been trying to do 
for instance, with the loving kindness meditation uh, is to really feel the different aspects, to really feel, put myself into um, uh, an experience I've had where I was really happy. And so to have that emotion fresh in my body when I'm thinking that that's what I wish for somebody else. And so it, it kind of seems um, appropriate to to go back to what feels right, what feels positive. Is clinging or something a negative thing? How does it feel? How does it make you feel? And then yeah. not get so hung up on what Beautiful. descriptive word we're using. Beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's in the lived experience that we find our way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Any other responses, questions, experiences people would like to share? Maria Elena has a hand up. Hey, this, well, this might be a little superficial, but can you, um, for just for a, a practical, can you finish the piece of how to live with the ants? Sure. Um, so <laughs> what I found was um, that, you know, you know, those pastry brushes that you use to put butter on pastry? They're pretty soft, right? So I, I have a pastry brush, a little dish, and a flat kind of piece of cardboard. And I can um, brush the ants into the container, put the lid on, carry them outside, and let them go. So for me, that was how I was able to deal with the ants without harming the ants. And it was... Um, you know, a very different experience, right? Than being angry at the ants and wanting to kill the ants and get rid of the ants, right? There's that coupling with changing how I store things, right? For example. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Thank you. There's also respecting the intelligence of these little creatures. They are like the last thing Tanya mentioned, they are looking for food and water. And if they can't get any, they will give it up, <laughs> go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So that's another, another strategy that's been interesting in working with things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, there's, um, oh, good. Deepa. Go ahead and ask your question, please, or make your comment. Um, I'm not sure how this is related, but um, I'm getting uh, the ill will part. Just taking that as an example is mentioned in over here, like the way you, you guys have mentioned it. And then Gil has the hindrances, mm -hmm. right? There's ill will in that one. Lust or desire is also another one. Can you tell me the... Are they the same? Are they different? Well, how are they different if they are? Great. Yeah, any of us. But I've answered the last question, so I want to invite Ying or Chris to answer this one. 
Well, I'll, I'll say something. I feel like uh, the, the ill will and desire part are the same, basically. But there's a little more in obvious intentionality maybe behind ill will and desire. This is one thing that pops into my mind. But the other hindrances are more like what get in the what gets in the way of being able to tune into intentionality at all, like restlessness and sleepiness and and uh, just being lost in intellectual thinking all the time, which is one way of understanding doubt. So you could look at those three as forces that cloud the mind that are not so directly related to intention. Maybe there is an intention behind them, like to, to you know, to escape <laughs> somehow, but it's hard, a little subtler to see. So that's the, the what comes to my mind. Does that work for you, Deepa? Okay. Um, Allison? Yeah, my question is connected to kind of to what Mitra was saying, I think, um, where I have a lot of shouldn'ts about how the world is. So, you know, there shouldn't be systemic racism and there -hmm. shouldn't be you know, a plutocracy and all that kind of stuff. So I know that that comes out of loving kindness and wanting for mm-hmm. us all to have everything what we what we need to thrive. But it's the thoughts still cause a certain amount of suffering. So I don't want to let them go because I think that they're. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think that they're. It's important to work towards those ideals. Um, But I guess in terms of renunciation, that would be about like holding them lighter or using different words than a different word than should. I don't know. I'm kind of stuck there. I've been noticing over this in the last month, looking at views that this comes up a lot for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ladies, anyone want to tackle this one? It's an important question. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, for me, oftentimes when uh, should or should not comes around, I look into it and see if there are some sort of fixation on my beliefs. And if there is a a fixation on my beliefs, it's pointing at something getting stuck. I'm grasping on something and not allowing it to be flexible. And so when our intentions are based on fixed views and beliefs, even if our intentions sounded wise, it can still lead to wrong actions because it's based on I'm right, you're wrong. It should be this way, should not be that way. How can this be? <laughs> and so um, that's where, you know, I would look deeper. And so in the kind of realm of views and just kind of observe, you know, what, what is it that I'm believing about this? Okay, thank you. There's also, there's also the notion that we're freeing up our ability to see more and more clearly how causes and conditions work in our own minds and in other people's minds. 
So the more we're focused on the kind of forcing sense that this has to change, we might not be opening up to more skillful ways of actually, you know, Mm -hmm. speaking to people, for example, or doing the things that might actually lead to change rather than just um, getting ourselves all tight around it. So it's not that we're, it's not like we're going to decide that racism is good, you know, but it's like how to really work with that involves the more we really understand what it takes to change the human mind and the human heart, maybe we'll get wiser about, about. Yeah. So this is the belief, right? We want people to be safe and human and treated well. And so we don't need to put it down, right? We don't want to put it down, but we want to be mindful of how we're holding it. Thank you. We probably have time for one more, one more quick question. If anyone has um, something they want to share, or not, we can just have an, a little, little bit longer sit at the end. Okay, great. Well, we've only got a couple of minutes, so let's just sit and let all this settle. Just check in with yourself right now. Get your head out of the computer for a moment and come into your own environment. Put your hand back over your heart if you like. Hand on the belly is also often good in bringing you into your body. Into your inner coherence and inner strength and inner alignment with what are your deepest intentions. What does it mean to be acting consciously, knowing this is my intention here? We'll be looking in future months at how our speech and our actions and ways we spend our time flow out and express these intentions. Very, very interesting to inquire into, as one of you was saying, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is my intention going into this meeting or looking back on a conversation? What intention did I get caught up in? Wonderful area of the heart and mind to explore. So may all of the good intentions that we've touched on and sensed into and generated this afternoon, this evening, may all of this work bear fruit and may it be dedicated to the happiness, the well-being, 
the freedom of all of us here spreading out into wider circles of everyone we interact with and and into the world at large. May our country be peaceful and calm this week. May the whole world find happiness, well-being, freedom from suffering. Well, I don't have a bell, so imagine a bell. Oh, there you are. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all. Feel free to unmute and say goodbye. Or thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Tanya. Thank you all. Thank you. 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 Thank you